Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, pastor of Sacred City Church in Davenport, Iowa. And today we are coming at you, or I am coming at you, with episode number 22. And uh, we're talking about what is a good sermon. What is a good sermon? Now, um, if you've heard a sermon, you've heard, quote, good sermons, and you've heard bad sermons. Now, most of the time, um, that what what do you mean by that? It's completely a lot of it's probably really subjective, right? Especially when other people, family, friends, maybe they post something on Facebook or they send you a link and they say, "Hey, this is a great sermon. You need to listen to this," and you've listened to it and it was not a great sermon. Um, so, just what are the ingredients to a great sermon? Now, there are some of that is going to be subjective. Um, there's going to be some things that, you know, you, you might have a per, some personal preference involved um, personality-wise or, you know, style, length, all that kind of stuff. That, that, that's, that's probably true. Um, but at Sacred City, and we've got basically five ingredients to a good sermon. And I want to walk you through... Uh, each one of those ingredients, three of them are what I would say completely uh, vital ingredients uh, that no one's going to get in the pulpit if those three ingredients aren't there. And the other two are more, um, we want them to be there. They make, I mean, if they're not there, the sermon might be pretty kind of good, but it's just not, it's not going to be as engaging. It's not going to be as good. Um, and so I'm going to walk through these with you and Hey, it, here's the deal. Th- these are my five. And so if you disagree with them, I'd love to hear if you think I'm missing something, I'd love you free to email me, uh, Justin Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. Let me know what you think, but here are my, uh, five necessary ingredients for a good sermon. Number one, Simple faithfulness to the text. You can't preach a good sermon if you aren't getting your sermon from the text. So when I'm training uh, preachers, sometimes people know how to preach a sermon, but they don't know how to preach from a text. And so a couple different times I've told a preacher, hey man, that was a, that was a quote unquote, that was a decent sermon that was come you, you preached a decent sermon from the wrong text. And so what I mean by that is their main point of the sermon did actually did not come from the text itself. Um, and it's really common and easy to do when a preacher's been reading a book or he's got something in his mind or you know and, and he's just he wants to preach a different he wants to preach something else, but he's actually not getting it from the text. And so he uses the text as a jumping off point to preach on something totally different. And that's not being faithful to the text. So at Sacred City, we want to preach expository sermons. We want primarily go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And so one of the most important things for us is that we're faithful to the text of Scripture in front of us. So we got three verses, we got five verses, we got a whole chapter of verses, we got two chapters of verses, like when we're going through Revelation. What is the sermon that these two chapters uh, necessitate? Right. So you have to be faithful to the text. Now, what this this is kind of the science of. Uh, of the sermon. This is where good exegesis, um, 
that you're studying the original language, you're studying the words that are in the text, you're pulling the meaning out of them, you're studying the historical context, what did these words mean to the original hearers? Um, it's important for us to be able to place ourselves in that original context to, to make sure that we are not losing anything in translation. And so this is where I do all of my exegesis, all of my Bible study, all of my reading of commentaries to make sure that what I'm getting out of the text is faithful to the text of Scripture. And it's not just coming out of my own mind, coming out of my own thoughts, coming out of my own reading. I'm not being influenced by other different things. So number one is, in some ways, it's the simplest. Um, If you've got the right tools, you can guarantee that you're going to be faithful to the text. So if you're reading three or four or five different commentaries um, that are good commentaries, you're going to realize that they're, they're all fairly similar. And so you can say, all right, is my sermon faithful to the text? So that's number one. You can't have a good sermon unless you're first off faithful to the text of Scripture. And nobody's going to get into our pulpit, Lord willing, uh, unless they're faithful to the text. Secondly, um, we want a good, or so a good sermon has got to be gospel-centered. Now, I know that's a term we use a lot. Maybe we, some of us know what it means, some of us don't. I've, I've heard it said like this, um, Christian sermons should not be, quote, synagogue sermons. Now, a synagogue sermon is uh, a sermon that could be preached in a Jewish synagogue, so without Christ, without, Christ, without Jesus as our Messiah. And so you could say uh, a moralistic sermon, um, if you're growing up in a moralistic church, you know what these sermons feel like. Here's what you should do. Here's 10 reasons why you suck at doing it. And the answer is be more serious about Jesus. Follow Jesus. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be better. Stop watching that show. Stop doing this. Stop doing that. Have purity rings. You know, all of the moralistic meth- message that we that many of us grew up with, um, we got through synagogue sermons. We got through sermons that were basically moralistic charges to try harder and do better and be more moral. Now, a gospel-centered sermon can sound like that for a little bit, can sound like that for a section or for a part, but the thrust um, of the sermon, or the sermon must find its um, resolution in Christ. So we must hear what Jesus has done and not walk away with just what we must do. All right? So there's got to be, there could be this, this sense in the sermon, here's what you're supposed to do, here's how you fail to do it, but, we, and, but the answer can't be, so just try harder. The answer has to be, but look what Jesus has done for you. He obeyed the law perfectly, and he paid the price that you deserve for breaking the law. So now that you can obey that, so that's, a, that's kind of a flow of a gospel-centered sermon, or you could also have the flow of creation, we were created to do it well, fall, we, we, we sinned, we, we're broken, we can't obey it, redemption, Jesus is the only one that can, that can um, fix both sides of that equation for us, um, the, the fact that we haven't done what we need to do and the fact that we need to do uh, better, he's the only one that can stand in the gap for us there, and then restoration, Jesus is the only one that's going to make us new, make us right, make us holy, renew the world. So those are some simple 
frameworks of gospel-centered sermons, okay? So a gospel-centered sermon cannot be moralistic, cannot be just focused on what we need to do, but must find its resolution and its motivation in the work of Jesus Christ himself. Um, If Jesus isn't the center of the sermon, um, then the sermon's not gospel-centered, okay? So, number one, it's got to be faithful to the text. Number two, it's got to be gospel-centered. No one's getting on our pulpit without those two for sure. Um, now, the next, th- I, you could even say, you could possibly say these next three, the first two are guaranteed. Nobody's getting in our pulpit, but these next three are, I, I don't think you can preach a good sermon without them, but um, they're a lot more difficult. Let me just say that. The first two is really all science. It's like, okay, one, faithful to the text, exegesis. Two, how do I get to Jesus from this text? How can I? How is this text Christ-centered? How is this text redemptive? How is this text point to the gospel or my need to the gospel? All of those things are kind of intellectual and they can be taught. The next three components, um, and I think you could do the first two and have a good Bible, a Bible study or a good Sunday school lesson or a good MC lesson, but you're not going to have a sermon. Um, and so let's get into these next three. Number number three, I'm just saying every good sermon <clears throat> must be um, personally engaging or interesting is another way to say it. Personal engaging or interesting. So a good sermon is never cliche. Um, a good sermon should be creative. Maybe it's the way it's articulated. Maybe it's the way it's structured. Um, maybe, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to be creative. Um, but a good sermon is creative. Uh, a, a good preacher doesn't just, uh, it's not a running commentary on the text. He's just not quoting all of the commentary and all of the theologians and all the scholars that he read, and he's just unloading all this information. A good sermon is packaged in a way that people um, want to hear it, people are drawn into it, people find it compelling, people find it interesting, people find it helpful, um, that it it pulls you in, maybe it asks diagnostic questions um, of the listener, so they see themselves in the story, it's got illustrations, it's got an interesting structure. It, it's personally convicting. Um, so more than just good information, but how would this information change my life? How does this information or this Bible text demand something from me? How does it produce something in me? How does it call me to something? How does it show me something about Jesus? Something that draws us in. Um, and so every it's it's real general bucket here. It's a real general ingredient, but every good sermon um, has got to be helpful in some way, has got to be personally engaging, personally interesting, personally creative. And this demands a lot from a preacher. It demands the preacher to bring his whole life uh, to bear to the preaching task. So for me personally, I use a lot of illustrations from my kids I use a lot of illustrations from my reading, my books that I'm reading, Christian books, non-Christian books. Um, you know, you guys know I'm notorious for Lord of the Rings and, and things like that. 
um, I'm constantly looking at the world and saying, how does the world already believe this or already testify to this truth? Because all truth is God's truth. How do how can I say this in a way that's compelling, that's creative, that's insightful, that isn't rote or um, you know cliche? Because if you say something in a cliche way, people think they've already they already you know it's just boring to them, and it goes in one ear, in one ear, ear and out the other ear. Okay, so that's three: personal, engaging, or interesting. Maybe the most subjective, maybe the most artistic of the whole thing, but um, the sermon is a mix of art and science and uh, spirit as well. Fourth, uh, a good sermon should be culturally aware, culturally aware. Now, what I mean by this is um, there's a reason why sermons should are marketably different in the 15th century and in the 21st century, I, I should, if you stand up and read a Jonathan Edwards sermon, even though there's some of the most dense and beautifully written sermons ever, they would, something about them would not connect with our people. If you read a, uh, a Spurgeon sermon, same thing, something about them would not connect because there's a cultural separation of time. Our culture is different from the culture he was speaking to. And so that sermon would be culturally unaware. It would be unaware of the preconceived notions, of the um, presuppositions, of the worldview of its li- of our listeners. And so a good sermon should be culturally aware. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, every culture has <clears throat> certain things in alignment with Christianity and the, the, world, the Christian worldview, and every culture has um, certain things that are in opposition to the Christian worldview. A culturally aware sermon is aware of that and preaches uh, both sides of it. So it it when when uh, things line up with the culture, we that's kind of an attractional type of sermon, and we can say, "Hey, we already know this to tr- be true." Or one of the reasons we know this to be true is because Christianity teaches this. It's not common knowledge in our society. Um, but uh, the opposite is true um, as well. There's certain things that our culture finds offensive that Christianity says, no, that's not offensive at all. And we need, this is kind of like the work of cultural apologetics. Um, I try really hard to be culturally aware, to say, I, you hear me saying all the time, here's what scripture says, but here's what our culture says. This is how our culture teaches us. This is what our culture believes about this. Um and I'm constantly drawing attention to the weaknesses of our culture to create lasting community, to um, create inclusive community, to create um, depth of soul, to create morality, to create all the things that Christianity creates. Um, our culture cannot create it without um, kind of siphoning off of the vestiges of Christendom and the vestiges of Christianity. Um, now, another way you can uh, be culturally aware is you just you're answering common objection uh, objectives or objections uh, to the faith. Um, you can deal with common pushback. You can deal with things like um, how could a good God send people to hell? Um, isn't it judgmental to condemn sin or something like that? Just common 
um, questions that, that we have, uh, qu- common res- concerns regarding the faith, and you can show how the gospel answers our deepest desires um, as human beings, that only the gospel, among all the world religions, only the gospel um, answer, answers the problem of sin, answers the problem of redemption, answers our need for God, our need for intimacy, our need for community, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and another way to do this is to show um, the failures of other common cultural ways of life. So you're going to, you hear me say a lot, like within when it comes to all the inclusive language that's ruling our world right now, um, there's an issue with uh, Bettendorf High School and some, um, the only way I can describe it is sexual abuse that happened on a bus and the 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 man who was uh who abused the other person he claimed that the other person uh used a racial slur and so the 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 school kind of just said oh okay it's like a wash basically sexual assault and uh, a racial slur it's a wash you guys both kind of did did wrong whereas a racial slur and sexual abuse, those two things are in two different categories. They're completely wrong, but they're in two different categories. And either both of them should have been expelled or for sure the one who committed the sexual abuse on the bus should have been expelled. Our society doesn't know how to reconcile things like this. They don't know how to reconcile because in with all the inclusive language, they, they're, they're, they, they're lumping everyone together and they're saying, you know, we're excluding Christianity because Christians say that um, homosexuals or um, any 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 person in sin can't be in a leadership role, and so we're excluding them from the public sphere. Well, that's not inclusive, and the inclusive worldview breaks down. It's breaking down um, itself. So, a good sermon should pick apart these areas of our culture that are failing and should so the reason they're failure they're failing is because they're built on a sinking foundation they're built on a faulty foundation other than Christianity and if our culture would return back to a Christian foundation and a Christian worldview um, we'd be much better off for it okay so you can do this in a lot of different ways you can be apologetic in a lot of different ways you can speak to the good in a culture and the negative in a culture in a lot of different ways. But the, the importance here is that a, the sermon should feel up-to-date. The sermon should feel, it should connect with the audience where it's preached. So if I'm preaching um, in 21st century America, that my illustrations, the questions that I'm answering, the questions that, that I'm asking, um, they should all make sense to those people. Uh, they should be culturally aware. Um, this requires a lot of reading. This requires a lot of cultural exegesis to, to be aware of kind of what's going on right now. What, what are, what are the assumptions and presuppositions that people have that they might not even be aware of it? Um, a lot of times this is where you, you're in a sermon and you go, oh, oh, that, that's insightful. Oh, that, oh, that I, that's why I feel that way. Or, that's why that doesn't make sense. Or, oh, I see. Hopefully you're having some of those experiences uh, in your sermon, in the sermons, and that makes for a good sermon. So 
four things. This is really quick. One, faithfulness to the text of Scripture. Two, is it gospel-centered? Is Jesus the hero of this sermon? Three, is it personally engaging and interesting? Four, is it culturally aware and it's tapping some kind of issue that's going on in the culture uh, right now? And lastly, and arguably the most important of them all, and the most personally taxing um, of all the things. So I think you could have a brilliant sermon with those first four um, ingredients. If you've got those first four ingredients, you're going to be insightful. You're going to be accurate with the text. You're going to be Jesus-centered. You're going to be, you, maybe you've got a little joke or two or a funny story and it's interesting. People walk out and go, oh, that was a nice sermon. Oh, oh, oh. But I don't think you've preached a good sermon yet until um, the sermon is itself worshipful. Worshipful. Now, what do I mean by that? <clears throat> Personally, I don't believe you've, you've, you've actually preached a sermon until the sermon itself, through the power of the Spirit, creates in the moment repentance and faith. Now, I don't, I don't choose any of those words lightly. The sermon, <clears throat> through the Spirit, produces in the moment repentance and faith. Okay, that, that's worship, right? That's worship. So it can be a Bible study. It can be a lecture. It can be interesting. It can be culturally aware. It, it can be uh, a, like a TED Talk. It can be like a professor but it's, you know, giving a lecture on something, but it's not a sermon until in the moment it creates repentance and faith. And so what I mean by that is there's a moment in the, te in the there's a moment in the sermon where you feel caught. You feel the weight of the law. You feel the weight of God's law. You feel, I have fallen short I have failed to do this. I am unable to fulfill this. You feel backed into a corner. You feel pushed to a ledge. There's a moment in every sermon where you should feel, oh no, I'm screwed. <laughs> and, and that's the moment, that's the moment where it, it, you know, I'm pushing you to the edge, the Spirit's pushing you to the edge, and you're, you are, um, what's the word that I'm looking for here? You're betrayed by your own righteousness, right? You realize that the law will not save you. You realize that moralism and self-righteousness is not enough. You, you realize once again, I am not enough and woe is me. And yet at that moment, you see again the beauty of Jesus. So at that moment, there's a re revelation. At that moment, there's an unveiling. You feel this, oh no, I'm worse than I thought. And then boom, you feel it lift and you feel the burden taken off. And there's this eruption in your soul of, oh, again, I can breathe. Oh yeah, the gospel. Oh yeah, Jesus has took my punishment. Oh yeah, Jesus has performed perfectly for me. Oh yeah, Jesus lives in me. Oh yeah, Jesus delights in me. Oh yeah, Jesus is my righteousness and my right standing and my mediator. And again, that give, that literally gives you faith in the moment. 
to, it, 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 it becomes good news again to you. Now, how does a preacher produce this? Well, if I could bottle it, I would probably be a millionaire, right? If I could figure that out. The only way I can describe it is the text through the Spirit of God has to do this in the preacher's soul every week. And that's why preaching is so exhausting for me personally. Um, I don't just teach the Bible. Um, I worship through preaching every week. Um, I, I demand a lot of my soul. I make sure I study myself full and that I really get a handle on the text and I really know where it's going. I, I try to do the culturally aware stuff. I try to do the personal engaging stuff. I, I, may, I make sure I know how it's gospel-centered and how it's getting to Jesus. But then I spend a good chunk of time every week uh, just praying and meeting with Jesus and how is this text good news for me? How does this text spur me to worship Jesus in a deeper way? And and I just beg the Spirit of God to anoint me week in and week out. And um, and it takes sometimes a lot of extra time, sometimes a lot of just sitting around thinking and praying and meditating and begging the Lord. And, and then in the moment when I'm preaching it, um, I feel the Spirit and I am so excited about it and it's such good news to my own soul um, that I've, I've, done, I've done exactly what I'm wanting everyone else to do. I've backed myself into a corner where if it isn't, if the gospel isn't true, then I am destitute, then I am without hope in the world. And so when I declare the gospel, it feels like the best news I've ever heard. And you've even heard me several times go, oh man, that's good news, or just be in awe myself, because in the moment, the gospel is causing me to worship as I'm preaching it, and I'm hoping and praying through the Spirit that that's coming across on the other end as well, that in the moment, you're being backed into a corner and you're being pushed to the edge and then you're being maybe even pushed over the edge and then the Spirit is swooping in through the power of the gospel and picking you up and reminding you that Christ has fulfilled all of the law for you. He was cursed for you and now that you can be set free and you've got a new power to live. And so <clears throat> this is how like uh, preaching, when I'm preaching, it is worship. Uh, John Piper calls it expository exaltation. That he's expositing the text, but while he's doing it, he's worshiping God. And um, I think I picked that up from him. So my, my, this is all my opinion. This is all um, the, 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 the way I think sermons should be at Sacred City. It's a blend of, you know, reformed expository preaching and Tim Keller's cultural exegesis and cultural influence and John Piper's expository exaltation and maybe even a little bit of my charismatic background and probably a lot of my personality. Um, but this is what I believe to be a good sermon at Sacred City. And sometimes I got a, got guys that preach and I'm like, oh, that was a good Bible study. Oh, okay. That was, uh, it was accurate. It was faithful to the text. It was gospel-centered, but it was boring. It wasn't personally engaging. It wasn't worshipful. 
Um, now, I do believe if the te- if the sermon is faithful to the text and gospel-centered, every Christian should be able to get something out of it. Every Christian should find it helpful. Um, and so, you know, I'm and when we allow young preachers to preach or even just inexperienced preachers to preach, they're not going to preach uh, great sermons week in and week out. It's just not going to happen. It's very hard to do. It takes a lot of practice. Um, and and so, um, as long as they're faithful to the text and they're gospel centered, we're going to let them get them up. We're going to let them get up there and give it the old college try, right? And uh, we trust that our gathering is gospel centered enough that um, that people are going to find it helpful. So, um, I don't know if I've ever talked about this. I don't know if I've ever shared the insight into how I kind of plan sermons and what do I think? How do I evaluate a sermon? Was that sermon good? Um, but those are the five ingredients. Uh, what do you think? Um, am I missing something? Um, do you, does this come across? Can you see, can you track with these five ingredients in my preaching? Can you see how um, they've influenced my preaching? Can you see these ingredients, the faithfulness to the text, gospel-centered, personal engaging or interesting, culturally aware, and lastly, uh, worshipful. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I'd love to hear your opinions. I'd love to get some insight. So send me an email, justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. Also, we'd love it if you shared this podcast. Uh, let us know. Rate us on iTunes. If we're, um, Let me know if there's topics you want me to cover and uh, if we can be helpful to you. Uh, again, uh, the Sacred City Life podcast is about following Jesus in the normal rhythms of everyday life. I'm on a pretty uh, solid uh, schedule right now. I'm trying to get at least one podcast per month. If you'd like more, let me know. Um, one, I just I'm doing this to be helpful um, as we're moving our missional communities to a more to uh, having that sermon based option. Um, I kind of wanted to give us some handles on you know what is what's a what's a good sermon, what ingredients should we be looking for in a good sermon. So hopefully I've helped us towards that end. Uh, I love you guys, and I will talk to you soon. God bless.